to our services this morning. It is a great day. Any day where we can assemble together to worship our Lord and our God is a great day. Uh, a few reminders before we begin. Please join with me in muting your cell phones. Done that. We have communion on the tables out, outside those doors in the back. If you haven't picked that up, you'll need to have that for the appropriate time. And contribution uh, nobody's picked a name for them things yet. The contribution receptacles are inside the doors in the back, so remember that. Boxes. Box is too easy a term, Joe. <laughs> but it's good to be together. Uh, if you're visiting with us, you are welcome. You are honored. Uh, we ask that you fill out a visitor's card from the pew in front of you and um, either drop that in a box or give it to somebody on your way out. Uh, we have a nursery over here if you need that and we have children's church are we having children's church today yes and you'll be dismissed for that at the appropriate time to fifth grade third grade second grade okay whatever if you have a kid shorter than this send them out <laughs> when it's time um for our members there is a survey in the back if you don't mind kind of a state of Rome survey. If you don't mind, pick that up. Drop it in a white mailbox out there. You can uh, sign it or not if you want. And uh, I think that's it. Let's have a word of prayer before we begin. Father in heaven, we are truly thankful for all that you give us, all that you do for us. We're thankful, Father, for the freedom that we have to assemble, for the opportunity we have to worship, to glorify you, Father, and your Son, and, and uh, remember the sacrifice that he made for us. We are all concerned about things in this life, uh, things that we struggle with, things that we are worried about. Help us, Father, to leave those at your feet, to put those aside this morning, to worship you in spirit and in truth with, with an open heart, to give you the glory and the praise for all that we have and all that we are. We're thankful, Father, for your son, for what he's done for us. Help us to remember him and his sacrifice this morning. What he did, Father, so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we can have a home in heaven waiting us. Just continue to guide us through this worship service. Father, may it be pleasing to you, acceptable to you. May we be uplifted and edified. And may we do it all uh, in accordance with your will. Watch over us this day, Father. Watch over the many that we're concerned about, many that are hurting. And we give them to you at this time. Forgive us when we sin. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. 
first hymn this morning, number 553, Rise Up, O Men of God. <clears throat> So we can sing it again. <clears throat> Rise up, O man. Next hymn this morning, 760, Who Will Follow Jesus? We'll sing the first three verses. Then Brother Alan Payne will have our scripture reading and prayer.
of scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 3 through 6. 1 Peter 1 3 through 6. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Our most holy and divine Father in heaven, we, we come before you this morning, Father. Again, thank you so much for the opportunity we have to be with our fellow brothers and sisters, to study from your word, to sing songs of praises to your name, and just to fellowship with one another. We're so grateful for this opportunity, Father. We, we pray that we always be mindful of this and always be, be mindful of the brothers and sisters that we have and help us our Help it that our love may grow toward one another as we grow closer to you as well. Father, we ask at this time that you would be with those those uh, people in our, our country, those, especially those who are in the service field, Father, those who serve in the military or in the medical field or the police officers, firemen, whatever, Father. We pray all these people who spend their lives protecting others, we pray will you be with them and protect them and take care of them. And Father, we know there are many people who in this world who are suffering, especially with this disease of COVID going around still. Father, we pray that you would you would be with uh, those who were ill and take care of them and be with the medicines and the doctors. And pray, Father, if it's your will that this, this disease might be taken from us, from our country and from the world, may we all get back to being focused on you. Father, again, we thank you for all you've blessed us with. We thank you for mostly for Jesus who died for us. Father, we pray that throughout our lives you always help us to remember that, that great sacrifice of Jesus' life on that cross that gives us an ch opportunity to have a home in heaven one day. We pray, Father, that you'll be with our congregation. Help us to grow, Father. Help us to grow in our knowledge of your word, of your will. In our, in our love toward you and to one another. Father, again, we thank you for all you've blessed us with. It's in Christ that we pray. And amen. Next hymn this morning, number 53 at Calvary. We'll sing the first, second, and last verses. <clears throat> Yeah.
reading from John 14, starting verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you, myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. This time of year, when we come to make New Year's resolutions or promises to ourselves, and if you are like me, six months from now, you don't remember what that promise was or that resolution was. But I'm here to tell you today that these words that Jesus spoke are as good then as they are today. He will come for us again, and we know the way. Part of that preparation was that he went to the cross for our sins. That he, he took the world, put it on his back as his sins, and he died for each of us. To help us prepare our minds, I'd like to read from 1 Corinthians. And Paul wrote in the 23rd verse of chapter 11, For I received from the Lord that I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us go to God in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for this day. And Father, we are thankful for your Son, Jesus, the love that he showed. And it's through his death and burial resurrection that we know that we have a chance to be with you in heaven. Father, we ask that you bless this bread, which represents his broken body, that we may take it in a manner which is pleasing to thy sight. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Father, we continue to remember your son and the blood that was shed for our sins. Father, we ask that you bless this fruit of the vine, and we ask that we take it in a manner which is pleasing to these. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now concerning the collections for the saints, as I've also given orders to the churches of Galatia, that I also must also, on the first day of the week, let each of you, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as many as he may prosper, that there be no collection when I come. All we have to do is look around to see how thankful and blessed that we truly are. As hard as our times are, we are we are given so much. Let's go to God in prayer. God, we thank you for all the daily blessings that you bestow upon each of us. Father, as we walk in this life, we know that you are there with us, that you comfort us and guide us, that you provide everything. All things are from you, Father. We know this. Father, we ask that you let us have a cheerful and giving heart as we return a portion to you, that it may be used in a manner which is pleasing, that the elders oversee it, that they may use it in a way that it strengthens your church and brings others to you. 
We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 599. 599, Stepping in the Light. So at this time, the young children may go to the children's Bible hour. <clears throat> Sing the first, third, and fourth verse. Trying to walk in the steps of the Invitation, invitation hymn for this morning, number 356, Jesus is Tenderly Calling. Brother Rick. For those of you who are watching uh, on a virtual uh, situation, there are more people in this auditorium than John and the Millers uh, up here in the front because that's sometimes all you see is just those uh, few. We are missing quite a few today. Uh, there are those who have COVID. There are those who are, uh, are thinking they are going to get it. There are those that are trying not to give it uh, to others. And there are other um, situations as well. We're thankful for everyone's presence this morning. You ever heard of the marshmallow test? There was a man um, who was a psychologist. I don't know if he's still alive. He might be. Um, his name is Walter Mischel. He's a professor of Stan at Stanford University, psychologist 
uh, professor. And, and he conducted a series of experiments. And these were the conditions of his experiments. Stay with me because there's a real strong spiritual application of all that we're going to talk about in this setup. Children had to be somewhere around four years old. And all of the uh, subjects in, this, in the experiment were children uh, of four years old. Um, they were told that this marshmallow that they had in front of them on a plate, they said, do you like marshmallows? And they said, yeah, I like marshmallows. says, um, if you, you can have that marshmallow and eat it if you want, but I have to leave the room, and if you can wait until I come back, I'll give you two. That's the situation. You can have it now if you want, or you can wait until I come back, and you can have twice that many. You can have two marshmallows instead of just one. However, that was the other condition there. The test wanted to see how children would respond in this situation. If they could control their initial impulses to eat that marshmallow, it's tempting to have a marshmallow right in front of you. Or if they could subvert push down those uh, more innate urges to eat that one and just back off, hold off to see if they could do, uh, do what it took to get that second marshmallow. And there was a reason for, for doing this. Here are some coping mechanisms that children used uh, as they went through. This little girl just looked at it. It was in a little indention there. She looked over and just stared at it. A little bit later, she even smelled it, moved it closer to her. Here, the same girl is sitting there shaking her hands like this. And then that girl or the little next girl started playing an imaginary piano on the edge of her table to, to, to distract them. Here is that next girl. She touched it and then even did her own dancing, you know, to, to keep her distracted. Coping mechanisms to try to get their mind off of this. Thank you. My finger was wearing out. There were others. This little girl just chose not to look at it at all. She just stared off in the distance. I don't know if she did that the whole time, but for the majority of the time, that's what she did. This little uh, girl, as soon as they got out of the room, put it in her mouth and ate it. This little boy didn't like marshmallows. He said, so, uh, do you like chocolate? And he said, yeah, I love chocolate. So he put chocolate on there, took the marshmallow off, put chocolate down. The man did not even get out of the door before the kid ate it. Okay? So you have this range of responses. And, and, and these are just a few samples of the ways that children try to deal with that challenge of not giving in to their natural impulses and trying to hold off and making sure that they obtained the reward that they were, they were trying to uh, achieve in that, in that situation. More than 550 children over the course of about what's that, uh, six years, six years participated in this study, and that's a large number 
for a study. And so they, they did the same experiment with all of these children over that uh, many years. And then here's what they did. Years later, 14 more years later, because some of these outcomes or results had to take place a little bit more than 14 years after, they interviewed these, these children. They interviewed their parents. They interviewed their teachers. And they interviewed their classmates and friends and said, tell us about that person. And here's what they found. The difference between the two groups, the group that went immediately or before the 15 minutes was up for the one marshmallow was in one group. The ones who were able to hold off were in, uh, for the two were in the second group. And here's what they found. These are the different areas in which number, the, the two marshmallow group surpassed the one marshmallow group. Greater academic achievement, greater, uh, more participation in and success in co-curricular activities like clubs and things of that sort. Confident in self-control in sports, higher SAT scores, lower drug addiction rates, higher incomes. They were able to maintain close relationships better than the first group and then overall they were just deemed more successful um, in life. So you begin to see there might be some payoff, some benefit to being able to suppress our own natural impulses and desires for a payoff later. This is the uh, man who ran the experiment and this is what he said. How is it that our ability to delay gratification with a simple test of willpower in childhood can predict so much of how our lives play out. What we have in the brain that is different from animals is that we understand time. We understand future. He says animals can't do that. Human beings can do that. And he says this about what we do. We constantly daydream. We scheme. We plot. We constantly think about what could be. And then animals cannot do that. And he says, this is what he says. And that is what intelligence is. Intelligence is being able to map the future, simulate the future, and that is what we humans do that animals do not. <clears throat> we consider the future. We consider the passing of time. We consider maybe even what's going to happen at the end of a designated time or the end of time itself. It, intelligence is a broad term used for the mind of a person and their ability to do these things. I won't read them to you. I'll just let you use, you run down that list. That is what, those are the things that we do when we use our intelligence. And these are some of the outcomes that we are able to look at. They, people have a personality. They have a knowledge base to work from. They uh, can perform creative acts. They solve problems and things of that nature. That's what intelligence does for us and makes us different than animals. Real quickly, Howard Gardner several years later says, there's not just one kind of intelligence, even though our intelligence tests seem to narrow it down to two or three areas that they test. He said there are a bunch of different kinds of, of, of intelligences and people can be strong in one and not strong in the other or they can combine these and be strong in them. So there are a lot of theories that have been going on. This is nothing new. This has been around for quite a while. Then yet Dan Goldman said, while the concept had been around for a while, he said, here's this thing called emotional intelligence. And if you haven't heard of emotional intelligence, it's, like I say, it's been around for 15, 20 years 
now. I think Goldman's book came out in 94 or 95. And here's what he said emotional intelligence was. The ability to process. Process means think, plan, cogitate, analyze, to process emotional information. The emotional information is your own emotions that are going on. You're thinking about, okay, I could do this, I could do that, but you know, and also that you are in tune with the emotions of others. So there's emotional information being processed, and you use that to navigate whatever is going on in your environment. And by social, that just means interactions with others. If I'm in tune with your emotions, then I may withhold saying something in a particular way because I can see that you're talking about a sensitive subject or something of that nature. Okay? So, emotional intelligence, the ability to process emotional information and use it appropriately in the social environment. Being in touch with your emotions, the others. And here is a particular piece of that, and it goes back to the marshmallow test. Delaying gratification for a better payoff later. Studies show that those with a higher emotional intelligence are going to be just the same as those others that we just looked at. Better at this, better at this, better at this, and better at this. So, if we, as human beings, are able to suppress innate impulses, natural impulses, we are going to be better off for it because we are going to be able to use whatever that comes out of that to a better advantage. Not necessarily for me, might be for the group as a whole. But in our case that we're going to talk about now in just a few moments, it's, it's about me. Back after I read Goldman's book, I said, you know, there's a spiritual application here. Yes, if I'm in a social setting, a social environment, I can be better at getting a, a desired outcome if I will stop and think before I act if I will suppress natural responses and urges that may confound the situation or make it more difficult or something of that nature that I'll have to overcome later. And I said, that's exactly what we do when we live our life in relation to God. And we'll look at a number of examples here. But before we do, from Scripture, before we do, I want to make this point. In the Old Testament, God spoke directly to individuals from the Garden of Eden all the way up through the prophets. Not all the prophets, someone got them in a, in a dream or a vision, but that was still direct. There was first-hand experience with, the, with God among those, those groups. In the New Testament, we also had first century, Jesus, direct son of God, apostles, the teachings of Jesus and the inspiration that they received, the writers of, of the books of the New Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit, being able to perform miracles to support what they were saying and demonstrate that the power was the same. Today, our information comes from here. These things were written for our learning that we might, through the benefits that they went through, learn who God is and what he expects and that we have to and learn that we have to comply with that but we don't get 
direct revelations from God. We don't have miracles to support these, whatever a speaker might tell us is saying from God, if, if that person is claiming that. The Bible is full of promises. And it involves delayed gratification. Let's look at the definition of faith. Faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 is the place we usually turn to when we go anywhere in Scripture for a definition of faith. And it says this here. Faith is the certainty of things hoped for, a proof of things not seen. There's a certainty. There's a proof. But it's about things that, that aren't tangible to us. We hope for them. We don't see them with our eyes in front of us. If you look at uh, other versions, you have the same thing. Substance and evidence and assurance and conviction all are different ways of saying the same thing. I am convinced about something that I only know of conceptually. And that concept comes from God's word. Certainty and assurance with no first-hand evidence. Personal. Strong reliance on hope. Well, what is hope? Definition of hope. Confident expectation of a desired future or a future outcome. That's the definition that we normally use for hope. Heaven is that hope. We hear about it. We believe in it. We haven't seen it. It is described in terms that I would say are at best vague. They're symbolic. I don't know if there's going to be a street of gold. That may be the words that God has just chosen to uh, mean something to us as human beings. A street of gold? My goodness. A whole street? That's impressive. I don't know if there's really going to be one. He just may have put it in those terms to let us know how grand it's going to be within our limited range of experience in our minds. Our hope is fed by our faith. And our faith is fed by our hope. And I, it's pretty hard to separate those. Joe said something about the greatness of, of God and the goodness of God this morning in class. You can't separate the two of these. Our faith in something, our confidence and our assurance in something that we have not seen is based on a hope that there is a payoff down the line. Let's look at some passages. Philippians 3, 20. Our citizenship in, is in heaven. Most of us would say, no, my citizenship is right here in Ohio or West Virginia, United States or whatever. If we have a mindset of where we're headed, and that's what Paul's saying, our citizenship is in heaven or should be conceptually from which we also eagerly await for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, for our momentary light affliction, and this is right after Paul had just gone through a, whole, a litany of the things that he and other Apostles and, and preachers of the gospel at that time were going through, which were severe trials, and he called them momentary light affliction. I love that phrase because it's, it's, it's almost sarcastic. I don't think he meant it that way. I think he truly felt that it was momentary light affliction, and this is why. It's producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond anything that we might compare it to, he says, because we look not at the things which are before us, all of these trials, these temptations, these punishments, he says, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. There's that time piece again. The things which are seen are here 
and now. He says, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Ephesians 1.18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. That payoff, the riches, the glory. It's all part of that hope that we have. And here's the passage that, uh, that was read for us earlier. Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us the new birth from a living hope. It's an inheritance that can never perish, never fade, or never spoil. It can't be taken away. It can't be changed. It can't be diminished. It is there. It is part of our hope and is that which drives us to do what we need to do here in order to achieve that later. And that inheritance is heaven. It's for us who through faith are shielded by God's power, a salvation that's ready to be revealed for a little while, however, we may have to suffer. And, and, and all of us have suffered, as Joe said in class, but none of us today has suffered the way those individuals did back then. That statement meant a lot more to them than it does to us. Not that it doesn't mean anything to us, but just meant a lot more. Romans 8, 24. For in this hope we were saved. By hope that is seen is not hope at all. We're not hoping for something if it's right there in front of us. Hope is based on things that are not seen. So why would we even hope for something that we already have? That's his point there. Romans 5, 2 to 5. We boast in the hope of the glory of God but we also glory in our sufferings. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope over and over and over again mentioned. And these are not all of the passages that we could have looked at. Romans 15, 4. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. That's our source of information the patience and the comfort that we get through reading God's word I don't have any direct revelation from God that tells me about uh, about heaven I was not taken up to a third heaven the way Paul uh, possibly and probably was based on how you interpret uh, those passages where he talks about that where I received direct instruction from Jesus that's my direct instruction I must familiarize myself with it. I must know it. I must study it because that's where my hope lies. And the more I do that, the stronger my faith will be and the more real heaven will seem to me. Hope comes through an increase of our faith. Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you We'll take that to completion. That salvation that we received when we responded to the gospel will be completed. It's an assurance that we have there until the day when Jesus comes again. So here's the other side of that that we talked about earlier with regard to the different kinds of intelligence and so forth and the experiment. But now passages which talk about denying self and how important that is if we want to achieve the reward 
at the end. Matthew 16, 24, when Jesus speaks directly to them and says, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And I can't remember, it was a few, a uh, couple of months ago or something that I think I uh, did the Lord's Supper talk. And I, I, I may have talked about this notion of what does it mean to take up your cross. We know what Christ did when he took up his. The sacrifice he made for us to take up our cross is not to be hung on it physically like he was, not to bear the sins of all mankind like he was. But we take up our cross, and I think one of the versions says daily, and follow him. Living our lives from day to day and living it in his service. Trying to rid ourselves of the things that slow us down, the things that cause us to lose faith, our sins. That's what denying self is all about. We try to rid ourselves of sin because sin comes from these natural impulses, these self-serving things that we want out of life. Paul, when he is leaving Ephesus to uh, go back to Rome, toward the end of his ministry, uh, the elders, uh, he met with the elders, uh, and they pleaded with him not to go back to Jerusalem. Don't go back to Jerusalem. We know that you're going to end up dead or in prison or something like that. And Paul says, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. He says, for I am not only ready to be bound, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul didn't care what happened to him. He cared about serving Jesus. And he was willing to not only be bound in prison, but he was willing to die as well. And we know that to be Paul's personality. Philippians 3, 7, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Paul was at the top of his profession, the top of the Pharisaical system. He was on the Sanhedrin, more than likely, and he was one of those that were right up at the top making decisions. And he said... I don't care about any of that. My experience on the road to Damascus changed my perspective. And now I count all of that. Tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, all of the things he lists in other places, nothing to me because I am all about the cause of Christ. Jesus says in the Sermon of the Mount, if you're right, I offend you, Pluck it out. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. He says, better to go through life without those if they are going to cause you to lose your salvation. Deny self for that later payoff. Matthew 19. Here he's speaking to the rich uh, young ruler, I believe, who came to him and uh, Jesus said, you want to be complete? You want to follow me? Here's what you have to do. Go and sell your possessions and give it to the poor. And as a result, you will have your treasure in heaven. Then you can come follow me. And he said, I can't do that. And Jesus knew he wouldn't be able to because he knew the heart of the individual. And that's why he said, this is what you have to do 
you're placing your possessions, what you value in life, ahead of serving me. And you're not ready for the payoff. You're not denying self. And in this case, it was riches. Peter said shortly after that, see, that's only a few verses down, he says, we've left everything and followed you. What then will be there, will there be for us? Jesus says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive compensation many times over as much and you will inherit eternal life. So giving up our focus in this life, and that's a tough one. That is a tough one. Brothers, sister, father, mother, children possessions if you're not willing to give that up to follow Jesus then you're no better than the rich young ruler who was unable to give up his possessions Romans 8.13 if you are living according to the flesh you must die to that life but if you're living by the spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body and as a result you will live 1 Corinthians 9 Everyone who comes in the games, Peter, uh, Paul's talking here about the athletic games, the competitions that people entered back then. And he says, everyone who does that really works at it because they want that, that wreath, that laurel wreath that they place on their head. We give medals today in the Olympics, but they gave little laurel wreaths back then on their head. And it was a nice prize for them. He says, but those perish those perish. He says, our wreath that we're going to get is imperishable. I run in such a way. I box in such a way. I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others that I don't become a castaway. I'm not disqualified myself. Paul knew that it was possible for him to lose that. And so he says, I have to work at it daily. I have to buffet my body. I have to bring my body under control. Because if I don't, I'll lose everything that I've gained up to this point. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer Christ, I living in me. I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I will live by faith in the Son of God because of what he did for me. Colossians 3.3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Titus 2, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearance and the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus at the time when he comes, at the time when we will receive all those rewards that we've been promised in heaven. So, back to Mitchell's study. There, uh, anytime you publish something uh, in, in the research literature, someone's going to question it. And there have been numerous people who have questioned the design of the, of the, uh, uh, the research and the experiment and, and come up with different ways to make it better uh, through various replications or repeats of a, of a similar study. They've changed the amount of time. Fifteen minutes is an awful long time for a four-year-old to look at a marshmallow, don't you agree? without taking a bite. So they changed, they, they shortened the amount of time there. Uh, they took the treat off the table, out of the view, and said, just think about it. 
to see if that makes a difference. Another conditional change there. This is the, the one that I think is most interesting and the one I want to con concentrate on as I finish up the lesson. If the children didn't trust the person who placed the marshmallow in front of him to come back, he said he was going to come back. He didn't tell him how long it's going to be. He said he was going to come back, or she if there was another one. The, vi the video I had was a, was a man. If the kid lived in an environment where trusting adults was difficult and they got disappointed on a regular basis, I have a tendency to think that they're going to pick that marshmallow up and eat it right away because they may not have a second chance. The person may come back and take that one instead of giving them a second one. So what they did, they divided children up into two groups. Those who prior to the marshmallow event had another little experiment over here where an adult did disappoint them. I don't remember what those conditions were. And then they brought them in and saw, and to see if that had an impact on the child. I would think so. Second group, they were exposed to another little pre-experiment over here where the adult followed through with the promise and see if that. So why do I bring that up? Can I have confidence in my God that he is going to reward me if I sacrifice my life for him? Let's see what the scriptures say. How much does our confidence in the reward affect our attitudes and actions? Hebrews 11:6. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, for the one who comes to God must believe that he exists and that he proves to be one who rewards those who seek him. How do we know God rewards those who are faithful to him? It's all over the place in here. If we can't read the Old Testament and know that God wants us to succeed, that he's willing to bend over backwards, that he's willing to forgive over and over and over again and restore blessings that he had withdrawn as a result of their behavior, then we're not reading the same book. We must believe that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And we can have confidence because of what we find in Scripture. Hebrews 6, 20 to, uh, 17 to 20. In the same way, God desiring even more to demonstrate to the heirs of the promise the fact that his purpose is unchangeable, confirmed with an oath, talking about Abraham here, I believe, so that by two unchangeable things in which that in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have taken refuge should have strong encouragement to hold, trying to read over my glasses instead of through my glasses, hold firmly to the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, a hope both sure and reliable, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has gone as a forerunner for us. It's impossible for God to lie. Now that's a statement. I mean... It's either true or not. Comes from God's word. I think it's true. It, it would be so against his character, as Joe talked about this morning in our, in our adult class. God is good. He is consistent. He's faithful judge. He's great. He is all of the perfection that he seeks in us with our limited human frailties. He wants us to be as much like him as we can. 
but he cannot lie. It's not a part of his nature. As a result, the hope that he promises us is sure and will not fail. Galatians 6, 9, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap that harvest if we do not give up. For as many of you are, are the promises of God in him, the promises of God are yes. They are affirmative. They are sure. They are absolute. Yes just means you can count on it. For as many as are the promises of God in him, they are yes. Therefore, also through him, it is our amen to the glory of God through us. Romans 4. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving him glory to God. This was Abraham, I'm sorry. Being fully assured that what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Remember that sacrifice that Abraham made of Isaac? He knew what God had promised about Isaac. He knew that if he killed Isaac, God could bring him back from the dead. He was that confident in the promises that God had given him. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited, to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. So it benefited Abraham, but the last part of that says it benefits us as well. We can see in that case, God was true to his promises, even though if we didn't know the ending, we go, He's having Abraham kill his own son, the one through whom all the promises are going? Doesn't make sense. We know the story. Hebrews 10, 23. Let us hold unwaveringly, unswervingly to the hope that we profess. For he who promised is faithful and will deliver. James 1. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he's been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised. He will receive 2 Peter 3, the Lord is not slow about his promises, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any of us to perish. 2 Peter 3, 13, but according to his promise, we are looking for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's our hope. That's our focus. That's our reward. So, what have we learned? Self-denial is necessary to obtain the crown. The reward, heaven, patience, perseverance, and coping mechanisms. However we figure out how we can sin less, whatever works for us, as long as it's not against God's word, and I don't know how it would be, it's necessary for us to persist. We have to find ways to resist temptation and resist sin. Those who are unable to do so will give in to sin more readily and more often than those who can. Our sins separate us from God. Our eternal salvation depends on our faith and the truth that this life is not what is important. It's the next life that's important. So, in our situation, in this life, we have a challenge. We have to become obedient to him in the first place. We have to render obedience to him to his word that tells us that we must be in Christ if we are to even have a chance at the reward and the hope that he promises in that reward. And the way we get into Christ is to believe that he is the son of God, repent of our sins, 
confess that he is the Son of God and then be baptized to have our sins removed so that we can be reconciled to God having had ourselves separated from God through those sins. Then we have to live a good life. We have to persevere under trials. We have to resist temptation. We have to communicate with God through prayer to ask him to forgive our weaknesses when we cannot or will not follow him as we should. If we are able to do that, how many times does he have to say, you got it in your hands. Heaven is there waiting for you. I cannot lie. I'm telling you, have this hope. Have this assurance that this promise will be true. If you're subject to the invitation, come as we stand and sing. Calling today, calling today, why from the search? morning. Happy New Year to everyone. Thank you, Rick, for a great lesson. Uh, just a few announcements we made here. Uh, the Sunday for the Savior, which was scheduled for this evening for our youth, has been canceled, and that'll be rescheduled at a later time. Also, a reminder that this Wednesday, January the 5th, there'll be a Stepping Stones dinner, and that'll be from 5.30 to 6.30, and spaghetti's on the menu. Uh, some great news, uh, Junior Sullivan, this is Connie's husband, was baptized on Thursday at Cabell Huntington Hospital. Cards will be, would be appreciated uh, for him. He's in room 4756. Again, Cabell Huntington Hospital, room 4756. Updates to the prayer list. Uh, let's continue to keep Rusty uh, for prayers at this time, just again, to strengthening of his body so that he can come off the vent and continue to keep Shauna and the rest of their family, Pam and Gary and Stiller and Holly and uh, 
Warham as well in our prayers. Uh, continue to keep Judy Gerald in prayer, passing her brother, Buddy Graham. Uh, Marvin Jordan is having back surgery on January the 10th. Uh, they're going to have to put a rod in his back. Um, continue to or keep him in our prayers. And um, Judy is undergoing physical therapy currently and, and struggling, uh, having some struggles with that. So I know that they would appreciate our prayers. Uh, just continue to keep Larry Faulkner in our prayers. He had a uh, heart surgery last week and continues to recover from that. Uh, keep Kristen Ward um, in prayers at this time as well, and, and James and the rest of their family also. Uh, I know they would appreciate those prayers. And uh, continue to keep Tanya Ward, her uh, stepdad, David Petticoat. Uh, he's in Florida and is uh, still in the hospital with a kidney infection. So keep him in our prayers. And um, as you can see, looking around, there's uh, several of our members that are dealing with COVID currently. And so let's keep everybody uh, in our prayers that are going through, through that and uh, praying for uh, speedy recovery for each of them. Also, um, Daniel Spears um, had a baby girl, Charlotte, and she is currently in the hospital in Texas. So the family is asking for prayers for baby Charlotte. Uh, she's doing better. They're hoping that she can come home Tuesday if, if things continue to go well. And Denise is in Texas right now helping out. So let's keep them in our prayers. That's all the announcements that I have. I'd like to uh, invite everybody back for our 4 p.m. service and also for our midweek service on Wednesday at 7 p.m. We'll have one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Let us please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 121. 121. Do all in the name of the Lord. <clears throat> we'll sing the first and last verse, and then Brother Chad Ward will lead us in prayer. Let us pray. Our most gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we humble ourselves. Father, we bow before you, thanking you for this opportunity that you've given us to be here. Father, we're thankful for this Lord's day, which is your day, Father. We ask your blessing upon each of us as we depart this place. Bless us throughout the rest of our week. Father, as we are with our family and as we're around uh, 
around others, Father, that you will bless us and help us to, to be a shining example for you. Father, we're encouraged and uplifted by the news of Junior Sullivan. We ask your blessing upon him, Father. Strengthen him, and, and most importantly, we're, we're thankful that he gave his life to you, Father. We ask your blessing upon Daniel Spears and his family and, and their baby Charlotte, that you will bless them, that you will bless the baby and, and, and watch over them, Father, and that she will be able to come home soon. Father, we continue our prayers for Rusty. Father, lay your healing hand upon him that he could come off the ventilator, that you will watch over him, that you will be with his family and bless and strengthen them. Father, be with Kristen, that you will that you will watch over her, that you will bless and bless her and strengthen her and and be with 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 James and their family and their kids. Father, watch over Kristen and bless her. Father, we ask your blessing upon Judy Gerald, the passing of her brother Buddy, that you will watch over that family and bless them, that you will be with Marvin and Judy uh, Jordan, that you will continue to bless them, Father. Larry Faulkner, and Father, that you will be with Tanya Ward and, and her father, Mr. Petticoat, that you will watch over him and, and bless their family as well. Father, most importantly, we're thankful for the gift of your son, Jesus, that he came to this earth, that he lived as we live, and that he died a cruel death in place of our sins. Father, watch over us, forgive us when we sin, bless us when we are tempted, and help us to learn from our mistakes. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.